From our local high schools to the pros, the Dallas Morning News has got North Texas sports covered, and it's more than just the scores. From all the off-season moves to in-season adjustments and maybe even postseason glory, the DMN has got the inside scoop on your favorite teams, players, and coaches. You can follow every goal, save, bucket, and touchdown as the Dallas Morning News delivers real local sports journalism from the press box and locker room straight to your inbox. As soon as the podcast is over, head to dallasnews.com sports to see what Brad Townsend, Callie Kaplan, and the rest of the DMN gang has for you there. Hello and welcome to Mavs Daily, where every day of the week we're breaking down a question, event, news, or trend having to do with the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Bobby Carella. I am from Mavs Digital. Joining me today, he has finished counting up all the points, tallying up the ridiculous first half box score, and the equally impressive second half box score, even though it's closer to a tie. The Mavs still won the second half by one point. Thank you, Boban. It is Isaac Harris. Isaac. I know that you're feeling great after what happened today, but on a scale of like 9 to 10, how great do you feel? Oh, 10, 11, 12, any number up through there. One, you love winning a basketball game by 50 points and you being on the correct side of that. But two, being in a team like the Clippers, it would have only been better if Marcus Morris was out there. Yeah, I wasn't, you know, heartbroken to see Kawhi out. Honestly, that that injury that he suffered, that that facial, the, oh, the face laceration thing, that yeah, that was really really bad. So uh, ho- hopefully he's back out there soon. But, um, you know, it was all right that he missed the game. Marcus Morris though was pretty. I don't know. I know fans are very emotional about him. So maybe some people were happy to not see him out there. Maybe some people wanted him to be in the game. Uh, so that he could have been on the receiving end of that uh, of that thumping as well. But there's always next time. They'll play each other three times. So uh, I know Mavs fans haven't forgotten about him, but Isaac, I mean, good Lord. It was like 41 to 13. It was 56 to 16. It was 62 to 18. It was 77 to 27. The largest halftime lead in NBA history. I mean, holy cow, what did we just see today? You saw a team back up what they talked about, and I thought that was really cool to see and a testament to just uh, what this team's about and the DNA of this team that, you know, Christmas Day happens and they play this Lakers team who, I mean, they're stacked and they have massive dudes and just their style is so much different than so many other teams in the league. And, you know, they get beat pretty good on Christmas Day and it was embarrassing um, and I say that and they, because they were embarrassed by it. Uh, they talked about it after the game about this. They didn't have the energy. I think Josh Richardson used disinterested at times. Uh, they just didn't have it. And it was an effort thing. They talked about effort a lot. Trey Burke mentioned effort uh, on the defensive end. And I thought Rick Carlisle, him mentioning in the postgame uh, presser after this Clippers game uh, about just where the team was at, too. I thought that was really intriguing of saying you know, we've been in LA that, te- you know, the team was away from their families, you know, during Christmas and all this stuff. And now we go into, it's like this last game before they fly home and they're, they have this off day on Monday and stuff that 
They performed at this level. They they talked about what they needed to improve on and change after you know Friday's game against the Lakers, and they went out on Sunday and not only changed it, but they were a, like complete 180 of it. It was a whole different Mavs team than what uh, you know we've seen in the first two games, especially on Friday. And from the opening tip, you know when we first got on Skype, we were joking around like when we knew the game was over, and I was like, man, yeah, the first like handful of minutes of the game because. You saw it in their faces. You saw it in the, their just playing. They wanted this game from the opening tip, and they were going to do whatever they had to do to win this game. And, yeah, I thought they set the energy tone from opening tip. I, I was amazed by that. Yeah, and it certainly made things a little easier that the Clippers weren't the most engaged-looking team, I thought. Uh, you know, they, they maybe could have tried a little harder, too, but – uh, They're a listen- great team chemistry team, though. They had a great team chemistry in the bubble. Yeah, for and, sure. Uh, and that's you know something they worked on in the off season. So that that's you know how you have like relationship goals. So that's team chemistry goals right there. Yeah, for sure. And Paul George came out after the game and said he takes uh, responsibility for the loss because he enjoyed Christmas a little too much. They they he did said he really they say were, that? I haven't yeah, seen this. No, he, he that's a that's a direct quote. He said they were on the road during Christmas, so they wanted to get back home to their families. And they celebrated Christmas yesterday, yesterday being December 26th. And um, he enjoyed it a little too much. And I was like, well, that's interesting because the Mavs have been on the road since like December 22nd. So they've wow. been, they've also been gone. And, yeah, it was Doc uh, Rivers' fault last year too. Yeah, yeah. So they, they uh, so certainly no love lost either between the Mavs and the Clippers, even between you and me and the Clippers. Um, <laughs> it is, it is fun to, to do it. But of course, the other LA team basically did the same thing to the Mavs in the previous game. And so there's <laughs> people are going to give it to you and you got to give it to other teams in this league. And yeah. so for the Mavs to your point about coming out and just being more engaged, being more intense and all that stuff, you know, it's kind of easy to, you know, I've, I'm not an NBA player, but if you're competing against someone who's maybe not all the way plugged in, then sometimes, especially if you build a big early lead, like you're up 23 to five, for example, like they were or whatever it was, maybe you can kind of take your foot off the gas a little bit and just like try and cruise to the finish. And then all of a sudden the other team goes on a 15 0 run or something, and then they turn it on. And then by then it's too late and you're like, Oh my God. And then you've just blundered a huge start, you know, but it was really good to see them kind of drive it home. Of course, in the second half, things were a little less intense because they were literally up 50 points at halftime, but you know, they took 23 to five and they kept on just ballooning the lead and just adding points and adding points. They got up by they got up 62 to 18, Isaac, 65 to 20. They got up 77 to 27. Like they just kept on winning, you know, and adding to their lead and the bench like the bench started really getting into it, you know, roaring yeah. after and ones and you know, like picking guys up with it. like just there was just so much energy and they kept the energy going and going and going. They were not settling for anything. Uh, really until the second half and and then you know the starters checked out and the bench guys the deep guys came in like the rookies and Wes Wundu and Boban and they were playing hard too so like everybody played hard the whole game so just a a win that really everybody can kind of feel good about and and again to your point about kind of the 180 in terms of intensity level they didn't fall into the trap of just you know kind of being cool with having a good first eight minutes they were like no we're gonna play we're gonna play this whole half out like this and we're gonna like embarrass you in historical fashion and they became i think um only like the third or fourth team ever to win by 50 points on the road like normally 50 point wins happen at home um dallas 
won by 50 at New York, I think in 2009 or 2010. Uh, but otherwise, all of their 50-point wins have been at home. So it's that's an added layer of it, too. They went into the Clippers' house and did it to them, obviously not in front of their fans, but, I mean, it is in their gym. So it's yeah. it just adds a little uh, a little extra, you know, kind of uh, kind of cherry on top. Yeah, you mentioned the bench, and, you know, Rick Carlisle has talked about this. He talked about it again after this Clippers win that – you know, when you don't have fans and you don't have this, you know, fan support and this, the energy from the arena, he's really, you know, brought a point to it. And I think it's not just a Rick and Mavericks thing. It's you've seen, it, I think with other uh, teams across the league. And I think it really started in the bubble when there's no fans that the bench is just being so into it. And he mentioned this after the Clippers game tonight that, you know, he's like, that's our home crowd. That's that's our home. That's our energy right there. And you draw so much. If you, you can't draw it from any other source in the arena, but if you have those other, you know, what, eight, 10 guys, you know, if you want to count some coaches on there too, and seeing coach Weiner and some of those guys being hyped uh, on the bench, that's super cool to see. And that's the only place you can really draw energy from. So I thought our bench, man, and I think, you know, our bench is just, uh, it's a great group of guys that just love playing with each other and for each other. And yeah, I mean, to go back to the first, this game, Luca and Josh Richardson, both having 13 points in that first, first quarter. I, I thought Richardson, man, these, yeah, we hyped him up in the preseason and we hyped up the move and everything, but you know, a lot of us, I mean, I know it's three game sample size in regular season, but we thought we were going to lose some, or some people thought we were going to lose some shooting when you swap out Seth Curry for Richardson. But, you know, for, through these first three games, he was four of eight from three tonight. He's eight of 20 from three over the first three games. That's 40% from three. Uh, whether he can keep that up or not, you hope so. But it's it, everything that he's shown so far, offensively and defensively, and, you know, they talked about it after the after his Clippers game, the uh, the chemistry that Josh and, uh, you know, and Luca have with each other. I looked up uh, lineup stats before uh, I think it was before the Clippers game tonight. And, you know, Josh and Luca have uh, the most minutes played together so far the first couple of games. So there's obviously a chemistry building there. And I just want to point out Richardson because I thought through three games, even though it's a one and two record, I thought, man, he he started a great a great start to his uh, tenure in Dallas. Yeah, he's been really good. And there was one play tonight, you know, he he shot the ball great, and you know he he's he's made some really tough jumpers, fadeaways, pull ups, things like that. Stuff around the basket's been good, but he made one play in the game today that really stuck out to me. It didn't even result in a make. I think uh, whoever he passed it to missed the shot, but he drove baseline with his left hand and delivered a one-handed left-handed pass to the corner to a shooter and I was like that is like that's just really good stuff you know uh for yeah. for your kind of off guard or really like depending on who's out there like your second or third kind of best playmaker or more most natural playmaker to be able to make plays like that tough angle passes with his off hand is just really good uh it, you know guys this year and and we're going to talk about like a few big picture things like looking at the whole of the season, not just about one game, even though it was a great game that really deserves its own like season of a podcast, everything that happened against the Clippers. But, um, you know, he, he's with, with more teams starting to pick Luca up full court. Um, you know, it kind of started like Pat Beverly did that in yeah. like Luca's rookie season. I mean, this has been something that's been following around Luca for a while, but we saw Schroeder that's the do thing it now. That's yeah. The Mikhail Bridges thing. did it. Dennis Schroeder did it. The Clippers did it at times, 
today, but they did it like all the time in the playoffs, you know, with Morris and even Terrence Mann doing it sometimes. Um, you know, you need to have another guy that can kind of bring the ball up the floor and get you into the offense. And again, Seth Curry is like, I think he's the second or third best three-point shooter in NBA history in terms of percentage, but uh, playmaking, especially for other people, not necessarily his forte, whereas Richardson really can do that. And so for him to be kind of your alternate option or for it to be Jalen Brunson or Trey Burke or whoever is really a luxury for the Mavs because not only does Luka bringing it up the floor against a defender every time just sap Luka um, unnecessarily, but it also takes time off the shot clock because it takes you like five, six, seven seconds to get across instead of just trying to get over in two or three. So to be able to give it to Richardson, get up the floor right away and get into the offense, boom. It's just, I don't know, it's just really good. Frees up everybody, gives you four or five extra seconds to run your offense, and you're able to usually get a better shot out of it. So just really good all around. I, I'm, I'm a big, big, big fan of that deal so far. And, you know, Richardson probably won't shoot 40% from three this year. Maybe he will. Maybe he will. It would be awesome. Uh, but he hasn't done it yet in his, in his career. But the playmaking, the defense – especially do the steals all the all the poking like at the ball that yeah. he does he's just able to just disrupt guys and kind of just annoy them kind of pat beverly-ish in that sense yeah. but less like maybe toxic or something uh <laughs> more he's friendlier about it but um uh, but yeah i don't know I'm, I'm i'm a big big josh richardson fan and at this point my only question for him is like it's going to be awkward whenever they retire his jersey and not sean marion they both wear zero <laughs> but it's gonna be richardson's name on the number i mean it's only gonna be awkward if uh, you know, they don't win a title. I mean, what if Richardson leads to, you know, a couple titles in Ooh, Dallas? Yeah. And then it's like, oh, well, it's not yeah, too it's awkward now. But, uh, he doesn't have as cool of a nickname as the Matrix, but I don't know. You win a couple championships, uh, it's going to be tough. Hey, Jay Rich is cool. It's a cool nickname. But if we're going to talk about some, like, overarching stuff from, uh, I think, this game and over, you know, these first three games of the season, uh, I know we alluded to it, you know, last week a little bit, but – uh, just the center spot until you know KP comes back, and I don't want to like hammer on a specific player. I just I'm really watching the rotation of this: Dwight, Maxi, Willie. Who gets those minutes? And I just want to say, I find myself very intrigued when Willie Cauley Stein checks into the basketball game, and just some of the things. It's it's wild because Dwight is like so polished offensively; like he knows exactly where to be, where to go, set the right picks. He like. He is the coach's like dream player. Like you know what Dwight's gonna like do and give you on the floor, and then Willie sometimes. Which reminder, this is still his like what sixteenth regular season game for the Mavericks. You know he played thirteen before. This is his sixteenth uh, game. You know not counting preseason. Sometimes he's still adjusting. Uh, yeah, adjusting to just where he should be and go and stuff. But I do find myself intrigued with his length. His, his ability to contest some shots. He does bring a rim rolling presence. And I don't know. I've just liked his minutes off the bench. I liked him in this Clippers game. I liked some of them the other night too. So I just, just that center spot until KP comes back. It won't matter as much when KP's back, but I am just watching just how they, how Rick rotates that spot. Yeah. Willie is very Nerlensy, not just like same kind of body type and level Tyson of Chandler starter kit. <laughs> He's like, there is kind of this element of like anything can happen right now whenever he comes into a game because yes, like that's a great way to put it in the same sequence he'll you know throw down just a disgusting alley-oop and then just like totally miss a rotation on defense <laughs> yeah. but then yeah. he'll make it up to you because like he had I, it might have been in this game it might have been against the Lakers 
just a really nice track and block of a layup against somebody. And, I mean, he does mm. pull down rebounds, and his catch radius is insane. There was an inbounds pass in the game against the Clippers today where, you know, they, they tried to run this play. I think it was for Dorian. It was, like, you know, kind of cutting. It was a it was a, a baseline out of bounds, a blob underneath the basket. And, and Dorian was, like, kind of cutting out to the three-point line, and the, the defender undercut him, couldn't, you know, the pass wasn't there. And it was like 4.7 seconds. And you're like, oh, my God, they just get the ball in bounds. And so whoever it was, it might have been Trey Burke or someone, just like threw it up in the air. And Willie just like just like put on his wings and just flew up and got the ball, pulled it down from the rafters. And it was, it was really impressive. I mean, he can catch any pass. Very springy, very long, very athletic player, and super talented uh, hit a pull-up jumper today, missed the three-pointer, yeah. which was a bummer, but he did hit a pull-up jumper. So I think as he continues to get a little more acclimated, then he could he could be really be an interesting player in this system. But um, a, it, it is kind of, I don't know, it's like funny how really all of those guys I thought had really good games today against the Clippers. Yeah. But like if you asked your random batch of 100 Mavs fans what they thought about the centers after they all had to guard Anthony Davis for 48 minutes your answers would vary so uh it does kind of help that it's like Serge Ibaka is a great player but he's not like a future Hall of Famer like AD is and so I think just generally I mean everyone's going to kind of have to just sort of accept and understand that until KP comes back many nights the other team's starting center is going to be better than the Mavs' centers. Probably, I mean, probably. You know, like, Aiton was really good. I thought I thought the Mavs held him in check for the most part. He had a, he had a pretty good fourth quarter there, uh, getting some some stuff around the basket. But, you know, AD beat him up pretty good. And then today they did really well against Ibaka, and they even did a great job against Zubats, too, who was just a huge thorn in their side in the bubble, by the way. And coming up, too. What's up? And Biabo's coming up, too. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, then Adebayo on the other end of that. But uh, in the bubble, Zubac was great against the Mavs, and they didn't have Dwight Powell or Willie Cauley Stein. So um, yeah. you know, getting getting some more depth help, some more options help. But yeah, I mean, it's just there's a really good chance that the other team's starting center will have the advantage on many nights because the Mavs are starting backups at the five right now, and all of, yeah. you know, a lot of the hand wringing and talking and arguing about who should be starting or whatever. You're splitting hairs because the Mavs starting center is out right now. So whenever yeah. KP comes back, it'll be settled. In the meantime, it's keep working D- uh, Dwight back. You know, I think athletically he looks similar uh, to Dwight. Rick said he's like somewhere in the 90s physically, which is funny because out of context, it's like, well, it's like 2020. So like he needs to come back to reality. But <laughs> it means that he's almost back to like full speed. And, and he looks there. You know, he had that really nice alley-oop today. Um, but you know, he's maybe not the strongest guy ever where somebody like Boban's very strong, but struggles against the quicker guys. Willie Colley Stein is great against the quicker guys, but against bigger guys, he can kind of get pushed around. And then there's Maxi, who's maybe not as tall as the other guys and can shoot threes, but he's not giving you maybe as much on the roll as somebody like Powell or Colley Stein. So they're all like, if you could fuse them all into one player, that would be great. And you kind of can do that. And his name is Porzingis and he's out. So, you know, it's just kind of, it's something that they're going to have to just keep trying to work out you know and and I think too that there is going to be I don't know if there'll be a starting lineup change but Rick has shown the tendency to kind of like ride the hot hand especially at a position that's kind of like up for grabs and I I just think like whoever plays really well is going to get the minutes like Brunson the other night closed the game against Phoenix part of that was because they they couldn't get a sub for like two minutes Tim Hardaway was at the scorers table so Brunson just stayed in but Brunson also had an awesome fourth quarter so I think whichever center is playing really well, Rick will stick with. If someone's really struggling, then maybe he'll sit down and give minutes to somebody else. So we'll see. But, yeah, I mean, center is kind of the 
it's very divisive situation moment right now i'm glad i'm glad you mentioned what you did because i think it's you know i like to listen to some national podcast um too you know about the nba because i want to see what other people who don't see this team every single day you know it sees it from a different viewpoint and i listened to ryan rosillo who's uh, with the ringer now and he kind of broke down the christmas day games and he put it so point blank simple he's like hey until kp comes back you know, their center guys that Dallas has, they're just going to, you know, against a really good team, you know, like Anthony Davis at one of the best, like, this is what, what AD is going to do against, you know, when you have a team like Dallas that's waiting for their starting center to come back and they have these guys that they're, you know, just kind of rotating against them. And he just like moved on. I'm like, well, this has been the argument for like Mavs, you know, fandom over the past like week or so. And it's just such a smart, it shows that it's like, Hey, it, this isn't that big of a deal, uh, but this is what we're going to talk about uh, until KP comes back. Another area of the bench that I've been intrigued by was, and I, for, I forgot who who called him this. Somebody called Brunson and Burke the water bugs, and it was it oh, was a yeah. player, oh, maybe Dorian or I, I think it was it might have been Richardson, okay, or maybe yes, James yes, Johnson. It, I I think it was Richardson, but that was the thing, you know, that combo in the preseason. And Rick's went away from it. You know, he's been splitting up the water bugs. And, you know, I, I don't know if he started game one. I know definitely against the Lakers. He definitely did it against the Clippers. He's been putting Trey Burke with Luka again. You know, Burke played with Luka, you know, more in the bubble. That's when Burke really excelled in the bubble a lot. So Rick obviously loves something about Burke and Luka playing together. But it's just something I've noticed. And I, I'm interested to see what you think about just that pairing and how it was kind of a thing. And now it doesn't look like it's going to be a thing. And what from Bobby's mindset, what, what do you think the reasoning behind that is? Well, the reasoning behind it, I mean, these are all very small samples that we're talking about here, but in the Phoenix game, the second unit really struggled. I mean, just the, the starters struggled too. I mean, every, everyone kind of struggled offensively, but um, you know, they just kind of were struggling to generate really good shots. Um, but I also think too, I mean, in the preseason, Rick made a lot of hockey subs. And so he was putting in five guys at a time. And so we, it was easy to look and say, okay, the second unit will be Brunson Burke with Josh Green, James Johnson and Maxie. Well, I don't think that five has played at all this season. They might've played for like a minute against Phoenix, but Josh Green isn't really getting backup no. minutes. They're kind of bringing in Dorian. They're like subbing out Hardaway and then they're bringing in Hardaway and Dorian to play with the backups, basically the second unit. Whereas last season... Luca played a lot with the backups, but Rick is kind of putting Luca without Porzingis. Rick is putting Luca back in the early season sort of rotation pattern where Luca's playing the entire first quarter and the entire third quarter, and then he's playing basically the last six minutes of the second and the fourth quarter. And so Brunson, since making that move, I, th- I think it might have been for the Lakers, maybe the second half against Phoenix too. But since doing that, Brunson has been the guy that's played whenever Luca's out, so he's getting like basically twelve or thirteen minutes. Uh, playing at the beginning of the second and fourth and then you know Burke being the guy that comes in before Brunson means to me that Burke is probably like ahead of them in the pecking order right now although again as we talked about during the playoffs so many times Burke's like quickness and his ability to get into the defense and and really like make things happen off the dribble and hit really tough contested pull-ups I mean he's hitting some really really tough shots I think that makes him very valuable to the offense especially without KP because you just need shot creators so once Porzingis comes back I'll be curious to see what happens because I still think, in theory, a Brunson-Burke 
backup unit could work if they're out there with Maxi and Dwight because they're, you're getting a lot of size. And then also Powell's just rim running is going to just open things up, I think, for Brunson. But yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, maybe like the the the, the flip side of that is those are two six-foot guys that you're playing defense. And for a team that's having some rebounding issues, you know, maybe you want to maximize the size you have on the floor at the other positions, given what you're getting up uh, or give, what you're giving up basically at power forward all game by playing either Finney Smith or, you know, pretty much Finney Smith is your power forward. So I guess maybe that's why. Um, I don't know if like five minutes of kind of iffy basketball is enough for Rick to just totally change his mind, but I really think it just comes down to without Porzingis especially, he thinks Doncic needs to play the entire first and entire third quarters, which means no Brunson. Unless you want yeah. Brunson, Burke, and Luca on the floor together, but then you're like, well, why is Brunson out here if Luca's going to be out there because Luca's going to have the ball? all the time. So I don't know. It's a very complicated thing. I don't think the answer is very simple. Uh, but you know, it's mostly just right now, Burke is Hardaway's backup and, and Luca is, uh, and Brunson is Luca's backup and Luca's playing whenever Burke is too. I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's why I asked you, I, I was, I, I think it shows that Rick is still tinkering with things. And, you know, we've seen a guy like Willie Colley Stein, like we talked about a little bit ago, we've seen his minutes kind of gradually go up some. He played, I know tonight it's hard, kind of hard to pull minutes things from a game like this, but, you know, he did play 18 minutes tonight. So that that's just two things. I know I kind of just hijacked two things from you there and didn't – what what's something that, like, you're watching or – No, that was a, bit, that was a big thing. Don't apologize. Don't apologize. <laughs> I thought it was notable, too. Um, Maxi played a lot of four in mm. this game against the Clippers. And now, again, matchup stuff – He played with Dwight ch- some. I, I noticed that. Yeah, yeah. Tonight. Yeah, they played together with Luca and with the backups. Um, and that is probably going to change like all year. But I think Maxi is just – I think he's better as a power forward. I just do. I mean, in the Mavs offense, basically the five-man is going to set like every ball screen pretty much. And Maxi is a really good floor spacer. But somebody like Powell or or Willie too, you know, are they're, they're just more like explosive rim runners. And, you know, just I think they're just a little better than Maxi at that. Uh, so maybe that's why. But then that, that gives them more size off the bench was, is good. Um, kind of like the, the big thing that I'm, I guess, paying attention to, really more than results because, like, I mean, if you look at the Mavs' net rating, they're, like, the third best team in the league right now, even though they have a losing record. So stats and results, to me, aren't as important right now uh, as the process. And the process is they're forcing a lot of turnovers on defense. And, and I, I wonder if, like, turnovers will be up across the league at the start of the season at least because there's no training camp and you know no preseason really and all that stuff but uh dallas last year was dead last in forcing turnovers their turnover percentage was the the worst in the league by far um they were the only team that forced turnovers on fewer than 12 percent of possessions last year so they like never ever ever forced opponents to give the ball away and that's okay if you're forcing really tough shots and generally the mavs do force tough shots but if the opponent makes them or gets offensive rebounds, then they're going to pulverize you because you're just you're not getting any fast break points, you know, whatever. The best way to stop somebody is to make sure that they don't shoot the ball. And this year's team is forcing quite a few, which is really good. Coming into this game, they rank like eighth. Uh, they forced turnovers to, to compare. Last year, they forced turnovers 12% of the time. This year, they're forcing turnovers like 18% of the time. So that's that's a huge difference and a lot of them this year have been live ball turnovers so the Mavs have double digit steals in two of their first three games they had 13 against uh, Phoenix and they had 10 today or maybe they had 10 today or maybe they had 13 today and 10 against Phoenix I don't know but 
either way, they have two double-digit steal games in their first three. Last year, they only had a double-digit steal game eight times in 75 games. So uh, more steals, more fast breaks, more transition points, more easy buckets, and fewer shots for the opponent, which is really good because this year the Mavs are forcing very difficult shots. They're forcing a lot of long twos, a lot of mid-range, a lot of pull-ups. Um, and really, I, I don't know what their numbers are now, but through two games, they had allowed fewer field goal attempts at the rim than the Rockets did in their one game. So they, they had allowed the fewest shots at the rim in the league through two games, um, just 14 a game. It just so happened that the opponent was hitting 93% of those attempts, which is by <laughs> far the worst in the league. So uh, basically, teams were not missing layups. The Lakers, I think, were 20 for 21 at the rim, uh, but they didn't let Phoenix get to the rim at all. And really, against the Clippers, I thought they did a good job too. So uh, the defense is simultaneously forcing turnovers and also limiting relatively shots at the rim, which is a really, really good combination and has the makings of a very good defense. But obviously, it's just three games, so we'll see. Um, you know, the games against Charlotte and Miami will be good because both those teams have like a lot of ball handling and playmaking. Charlotte starts basically three guards if you count Hayward as a guard, and then Miami has basically a point guard playing center. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they do against them, but that's kind of the biggest takeaway that I have so far is, like, the defense is forcing tough shots and forcing turnovers, which is really, really good uh, because, you know, the personnel isn't that different, but the new additions that they have made have really, I feel like, made a, made big contributions. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, I, I think it's easy, uh, even myself, to see that Lakers game and, like, well, dang. Like, we talked about defense in training camp. The Lakers just put up 138 on us. and 35 uh, second chance points, though. Oh, that was insane. Yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> if you just take away the second chance points, they were great. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, I yeah, I mean, I'm glad you, you brought up the turnover stuff. Um, because it's like, man, I test, I want to tell myself that I feel like they are better defensively right now. Uh, and I, I just want to give Luca some credit too. I, I didn't, I didn't think he did the uh, worst job in the world against LeBron on Christmas day. I thought he held his ground, used his body really well, different. I mean, LeBron's LeBron. He's going to pull some crazy shots off and whenever he wants them for the most part. But I think, you know, through three games here and going back to the bubble, I think we've seen an improved Luca defensively. I mean, you can tell me I'm wrong on this for sure, but I, I just think I think he's much better uh, in bubble and now compared to rookie season. Yeah, he's gotten a lot better at using his body as a weapon on defense. Yeah. And now it's tough to do that. You really exposed yourself to the the possibility of committing fouls. And last year he committed a lot of cheapies doing that. Like he would like try and like sort of slide step in front of someone almost trying to like check him or draw a charge or something. And he'd just get called basically for like hip bumping them. But this year he's moving his feet while he's doing that. And he's staying kind of like attached to the guy, which is really making it tough because he's like, he, I know people are like criticize his, his weight or his fitness level or whatever, but like he's a thick dude and it's tough to get around those guys, you know, like somebody like Brooke Lopez, for example, earlier in his career was not really I mean I could be misremembering but he was not really considered like a very good defender earlier in his career but since as his career has developed and especially since going to Milwaukee he's basically just using his body size to protect the rim like he's not trying to block your sh uh, he will block your shot because he's so tall but he's not like leaving his feet he's just standing there and just being tall and big and huge and strong and it takes somebody like Luca or LeBron to like get through that contact and still be able to finish but not a lot of guys can do that and so if Luca's is able to use kind of his size and his mass as a weapon then that can really help him on defense and yeah no I, I agree with you I thought he did 
about as good a job as you could expect somebody to do against LeBron. LeBron still beat him a couple times to the basket. He, he had a layup on Luka very early in the game that was like, all right, you got to be better than that. But then when LeBron put the ball on the floor later in the game, Luka was able to keep up with him. And, you know, I think it's really good that Luka is, like, willing to take on those assignments and also very good that he's able to, like, perform in that role because, you know, even though you start Richardson and Finney Smith and, and you have guys like James Johnson and, and others off the bench, Josh Green, even Tim Hardaway, I feel like, is a pretty decent defender. Um, you can't just get away with just, like, hiding yourself on defense for your entire career. Like, you got to be able to pull your weight, like, yeah. literally and figuratively speaking, on that side. And that Luke has been able to and, and willing to do that so far, I feel like, is a really, really positive sign for, for the team. And, and that, I think that's what – kind of separates you know you don't need Luca to be first team all defense but I think well someone at, thinks that he already is well, okay that's true thank you uh Greg Logan I think is Greg Logan we um, love Greg Logan around here we <laughs> love him is he on the payroll no it I, I think that's what separates you know Luca from some of the other top scorers in the league you know guys like Trey Young James Harden that you know he's at least serviceable defensively like he's not so much of an X factor where you're multiple down, times down the floor, like can't play canter, you know, can't, you know, it's not one, it's not one of those situations. So I, I think that's a, that's a huge, you mentioned a name while I go that I did want to give a shout out to that after three games, you know, when we got James Johnson in the trade, you know, we were excited about having a veteran on the team, a de another defensive presence on the team. Uh, you know, we liked, you know, some of his playmaking ability from Miami, you know, days. It's like, all right, let's see what he has right now. We haven't seen a ton. He only played like, you know, 14 games in Minnesota. Like what, what can he bring? What type of role in the rotation will he have this season? And I've liked what I've seen from James Johnson. I think he's a really good facilitator at, uh, at the forward spot. I think he can pass the ball really, really well. Uh, I, yeah, I want some more James Johnson minutes. I, I'm all about him having a bigger role in the team. He has two between the legs assist already this season. Oh, beautiful. Like he's got to be the league leader in that category. That one today <laughs> where he hit Brunson in transition like between yeah. the legs. I, yeah. And then like may have committed a moving screen after that, but you know what? Like who cares? <laughs> for, for sure he did. <laughs> this The NBA is about having fun. And I, I have fun when I watch James Johnson and the – the thing of like him facilitating that happened like during a timeout against the Lakers. Like he did not run any point guard in the, in the preseason. Right. I mean, like he would make some passes, but like he became the second unit point guard, like in the middle of the second quarter against LA, which I thought was really kind of the like peak Rick Carlisle of like, you know what? Like, let's just do this yeah. and see if it works. And they've been doing it ever since. So what about uh, that defensive possession he had on LeBron? Oh, Where, it was awesome. Uh, Oh, I just loved it. It was so active. His feet were moving. His, I mean, he was just getting his hands up. He strips LeBron in that. I thought he had a couple more possessions that he played LeBron well, too. So I think he just gives like Rick another card in his hand that he knows he can use it defensively. He knows he can use it as a playmaker. And whether it's with some starters in some lineups, whether it's with a bench unit, I don't know what it is, but I've been encouraged after three games because we didn't, I didn't, I didn't know fully what to expect from James Johnson this year and his role. But yeah, I've been impressed with him. Yeah, and it's really just got to feel good to have Maxi, James Johnson, and Willie off the bench, who none of them might play more than fifteen or eighteen minutes in a game. I mean, Maxi might get a little more, but those guys are all going to kind of be 
you know, lightly used. But when they go in the game, all three of them are just going to go like balls to the wall, just play like absolute maniacs on both sides of the floor. And that is really, really good because your starters are very skilled. This, this is a super skilled team. And so when you're, when you're bench guys, they're, all three of those guys are really skilled too, but they play with such energy on top of it. Like they can all – like James Johnson can facilitate. Willie can, is really skilled for a big man, shooting, running the floor, even passing. Maxie can shoot the crap out of it. But all three of those guys are going to bust their butts on defense. They're all going to run the floor. They're all going to block shots. They're all, like they're all just going to like do a lot of dirty stuff too. And that injects so, so much energy into the game off the bench. And a guy like Trey Burke does the same exact thing. So it really is kind of like a true sort of second unit, even though all of those guys can be mixed and matched with starters because each of them just brings like such a burst of energy. But um, yeah, I don't know. Really, really fun. And I, I know, look, like one and two – Right now, I don't even know if they'd be in the playoffs. They might be in the play-in. I, I have no idea. One and two isn't great. I know everyone would love to see two and one or three and zero, oh, um, but we'll see. You know, uh, kind of to bring it back full circle, it was a really good response today. Uh, you get beat the way that you did against the the Lakers on Christmas Day, and then you got to play against the Clippers right after that. You have to spend like four days in a row in L.A. under really strict COVID, lo- like where you can't even leave your hotel room. Basically, you can't meet with people, like because of. Uh, lockdown restrictions and stuff like it would be easy to hang your head and just be like yeah whatever we'll just come home and try and beat charlotte but they like they played like their their pants were on fire today and and really just i don't know it looked like a totally different team so i'm really pleased with the response and and i would say if you're gonna choose one game to take anything away from it would be this one because of like the resolve that they showed and just kind of the collective like energy and attitude that they showed because there's like you know, again, three games, but there's like no quit in this team. There's a lot of pride. They still haven't lost three games in a row since 2018-19. You know, hopefully they won't lose two games in a row too often, but, um, you know, there's a lot of unpredictability in the NBA season. The one thing that you can count on is your effort, your attitude, sort of like your your chemistry, um, your sense of like pride and just sort of like, let's go out there and do this. And uh, this team has shown a lot of resolve in that regard. And so I'm I'm very, very happy with, uh, with that part of of the season despite the results so far yeah you said it you said pride and they show they had pride in themselves and this team and like hey we have to show that we're not the 0-2 team and they went out and did that from the opening tip they never let up I mean you can't help to think in the back of your mind like all right uh fun lead but is this gonna you know they gonna let them back in there somehow and you know I think it was Josh Richardson, maybe uh, in the postgame presser of saying, uh, you know, I know, I think it was Tim who said, you know, we were talking about halftime. He said they, you know, we knew they were going to go on some type of run coming out of the second half, but we just had to, you know, withstand it. They went on a 10-0 run and it didn't matter at all uh, when, you know, you're up by 50 or whatever it was. So they, you know, they just never fully let up. And I think that energy and what I liked the most was that energy was felt and the pride was felt from Luca, the best player, on down to you know those guys playing in the last. Who's minute the worst home. player, Isaac? <laughs> <laughs> on down to uh, you know those guys in the, in that uh, third unit, uh, oh, I okay. guess third unit of Bobon and Iwandu and you know Tyrell Terry and those guys. Like they were all they came in and, you know firing on all cylinders too. It's Dude, like, Tyrell hey, Terry like went into the second row on that one steal. Like yeah. they were playing hard. You know? That Josh Green dunk on the on the breakaway, like yep. let's go. That was exciting. Wes was flying around on cuts. I mean, like all of those guys played really hard. You know. Yes, that's the thing, and it's like they 
from yeah from top to bottom this team whether it was a tie game at the beginning or up by 50 towards the end everyone was playing without heart and passion and effort and yeah i think they uh corrected the course i guess you know in in this last game in la and now they prep for a, a hornets team and Lamelo ball on uh, on wednesday i'm excited to watch him i'm excited to watch him i'm excited for basketball to be back in dallas we were both at that preseason game against minnesota and it was kind of cool but it was also kind of weird I'm, I'm curious to see how we it miss goes a lot of you guys we missed you guys yeah the game. yeah no for sure it's it's not the same without fans but like you were saying before the bench has got to bring the energy you know and they they definitely did in this game hopefully they can keep doing it so they we'll get see energy from us when the mavericks ran out of the tunnel in that preseason game it was like what five of us up there clapping Woo! well Go! i didn't clap because i'm a responsible uh <laughs> pseudo journalist so I was I was following protocol, but yeah, I'll clap. It, it was really funny. Like I mean, Scent was like the only fan, <laughs> the only fan. Yes, and so like, but she was just going crazy, man. I mean, she was she was loving it. It was it was really cool to see because like, whatever. There's 12 people in the building, but if you look up and like all the players know Scent, and if they look up in the crowd, just like Cuban is just always losing his mind. If yeah. you look up in the stands and you see Scent giving you a standing ovation for like a you know a three pointer in the middle of the second quarter, like it's gonna give you a little bit of juice, you know. I don't know. Yeah, it's just cool. It's well, just cool. to get to give y'all a sense of it too, you know, pregame, Lizelle and Becca, who do a great job with social stuff, they literally just holler down to the floor at Dwight Powell, and Dwight like looks up, and we're in the second deck, okay, and Dwight just looks up and just waves at him. That just sh shows you the whole vibe of like how many people are in the building and everything. So, uh, yeah, but, but yeah, we, it's not the same with fans, um, uh, hopefully in the whatever future there can be, but yeah, the bench has got to bring it. Mavs.com has got to bring it, uh, for, for the energy. And, uh, I think, uh, I think it'll be another good game on Wednesday. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. All right. So, uh, I wanted to see if we could go 50 minutes, but right, we're just going to have to settle for 41. So this is a nice 41-minute podcast. I feel like that's a good uh, good ode to the GOAT. Uh, Isaac, thank you for joining me, man. I appreciate you. Thank you out there for listening. If you enjoyed, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Maps Daily is everywhere. And uh, we will be back with you tomorrow on Mavs Daily. Daily.